This is Michael Zuber, and I just wanted to thank you for listening to my One Rental at a Time podcast. Did you know that I took the time to document the entire process I used to learn my market and actually still use today? I released it as a $199 online course via Teachable, and it is called How to Get Started One Rental at a Time. With that, you get access to my private Facebook group and can join our group mentoring calls every Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific. You can find it on my website at onerentalatatime.com. Now on with the show. Dude. You just ooze excitement, my friend. Your ears must have been ringing over the last two weeks because you've been like a topic at at home. You've been a topic, you know, like the pillow talk. When my wife and I pillow talk. He's been a topic. I was, you know, oh, I'm no. in the, I'm in Havasu hanging out with my buddies. We're thinking about investing. He's a topic. So uh, I just want to say thank you for all that you do. You are a light, my friend. Thank you. You are you are very welcome. But I give you permission to not talk about me when your head is on the pillow. You just have my permission. <laughs> <laughs> he, he actually would prefer you not talk about him when the <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's funny. We were talking about investing and buying property. And so that's, that's how your name got brought up. Yeah. I'm just teasing. teasing. Sweet dreams. I love it. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams of Zuber. (laughs) There you go. I like it. I love it. So, um, a couple of things, I think most everybody's here. So, um, I just want to start off normally, you know, we have a format, but I want to get the most out of our time with Michael for all of you. Um, And by the way, this is an open format. So at any time, you know, when there's a little pause here or there, if you want to unmute yourself and ask a follow-up question or whatever, that's really, really cool because Michael loves the questions. We, Adrian and I always encourage a lot of participation. but I want to just, rather than, you know, kind of have a slow start, um, we put out a lot of reminders. So I think everybody's here and people might be jumping on. Let's just get it started, Michael. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, Ty. Thank you for the opportunity. I will, uh, I will come to any of yours and Andrew in session that I'm lucky enough to be invited to. These are a lot of fun. We appreciate it. We appreciate it. So let's just start it off. I know um, let's just talk about the mo- the overall real estate market. Just kind of mm-hmm. what's the general overview? What are you seeing right now here as we end the month of May? Yeah, so there's a couple of things going on. You need to realize that the talking heads on TV, CNBC, they're already starting to talk about old information. For example, Case Schiller came out today. Case Schiller Schiller Index, all of that talked about, I think it was 13% appreciation year on year after a 12% appreciation the month before. But you have to realize that is March data. That's March data. And if you don't know, we're almost in June. So the data that the TV, the talking heads will be dealing with, and you need to know this going forward, could be two, in some cases, three months old. So as real estate professionals, real estate investors, I coach, I talk about doing the daily work, right? You guys are in the mix, do the daily work. Most people across the country, and I have thousands of students in my course, are starting to send me little messages about, oh my God, five new listings. And again, my my students have very tight criteria, right? So they're not saying five new listings for LA. 
they're saying, you know, I'll pick on Fresno because it's the only market I know. Mayfair District, 93703, we're seeing four new listings for three or four bedroom houses, right? So th these are interesting because they are new, meaning it's been forever, right? In Fresno and the Mayfair, we've been talking about eight or nine listings pretty much for the last 12 months, right? That's a criteria I have. And, and now it's like 16. Again, nine or eight to 16 may not sound like a lot, but when you start equating this to the overall market, you are starting to finally see the move up buyers, the people that were frozen last year, they were afraid of people, they didn't want you to touch stuff, they're starting to list. And I truly believe listings will be get more listings. If I was a real estate professional, the conversations I would be getting to have right now, like yesterday, I would start going to everybody that was like, hey, talk to me later, talk to me later. I would be telling them that now is the best time to sell, not two months from now when listings quadruple. You want to be listing when you're the only pretty girl at the dance, sorry to be sexist, maybe the only good looking guy at the dance, um, as opposed to being you know, 17 ladies and 17 guys, whatever it is. You want to be the only one. The other thing that you should be talking about is you should realize that all of these sellers, if they have half a brain, will be concerned about selling their house and being homeless. They won't be homeless, but in reality, that's what they're thinking. If I sell my home and I can't buy the next one, I'm homeless. So you as a real estate agent need to be going in. No, don't worry. We're going to do a contingency sale. Right? We're going to buy 30 days or 60 days so you have time. And oh, by the way, if you don't find anything, you can cancel the deal and stay in your home. No homelessness. So those are the things that I would be talking about. The market is shifting underneath us right now. You can only tell if you look every day. Every, I'm not talking four hours on Saturday. I am talking every day. Right now, as a real estate professional, you probably have the best chance ever to get daisy chain deals together. I'm going to help you list this. We're going to do a contingency sale. I'm going to help you get the next one. Oh, by the way, that seller may also need a contingency sale. Uh, the most I've ever seen an agent get is four deals, four daisy chain deals together. That's a nice commission day, right? So again, what do you need to do? You need to be calling everybody you know that said they're going to wait. Most of them are thinking, I'll wait to the end of the year. Or I'll wait to next year. Wrong. Tell them the story about the pretty girl, the pretty guy at the dance, not the time. Uh, talk about contingency sales and why that is wh why that is the most powerful thing in the world that nobody talks about because you got to remove their thoughts of homelessness or overpaying. So th that's what I would be doing immediately. So I fundamentally believe the real estate market is changing right now. My students are seeing it across the country. Uh, it is subtle but important. And what that will mean is very soon, maybe as soon as 30 days from now in most of the country, the best, the cleanest, the perfect flips, they'll still sell. But it's everything else, it's gonna to start to itch or age. It's gonna to start to inch with prices lower. It's just, it's, it's not gonna be, it won't be like last month very much longer where everything goes at retail or everything is 10 or 20% over list. That is such a unhealthy market. This unhealthy market is almost over. And how it gets unhealthy or how it fixes it is inventory. And I'm seeing inventory subtly sneak out and more inventories behind it. So that, that's, that's what I see currently, Ty and Adrian. So 
I love it, Michael. Thank you for that. So I want to ask uh -huh. just kind of the follow-up question and for you to explain that, you know, there was some publications that talked about a million homes nationally. Mm. We should be at about 3 million is probably the more organic natural market. We should be at about 3 million listings mm. active yeah. nationally. Yeah. And then talk about your predictions for July and kind of maybe just a little bit more subtlety there. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Because again, right, we we have known for the last, certainly the last nine months that we've had a listing problem, right? We've had an inventory problem. The things that we've experienced in nine, the last nine months are unnatural. Uh, they've been very profitable. Let me tell you, I love owning real estate when it goes up 20%. It's kind of awesome. Um, it's not natural, but it's still awesome. Uh, but what I think is going to happen very soon, and again, it's part, part of my belief that it's changing daily, is we are sitting on now about 1.1 active listings na nationwide. A normal market, meaning buyers and sellers are about even, you're not getting, you know, waiving appraisal conditions and paying over asking and all of that, is actually 3.3 million. 3.3 to 3.5, depending on time of season, right? More stuff sales in the summer than the winter. So, what I've gone on record with, uh, with some pretty significant publications, we'll see if they put it out there, is I think actually inventory will double by the end of July. Now, saying it doubles by the end of July freaks some people out. Like, oh my God, it's going to double. Prices are going to fall off a cliff. No. One million homes to two million is a double, but two million is still lower than 3.3. So what will happen is we will have less crazy offers. We will have more options and it will just be closer to a more normal market. And oh, by the way, we'll get to 2 million homes at the end of the July. And you know we're probably at 3 million homes by December. I haven't shared that anywhere else, but I think it's coming, right? I think more inventory begets more inventory. The, the, the economy gets back to, to you know, purring at four and a half, five 5% unemployment. Uh, we put this, this crazy event behind us and, and you know, it'll go back to normal. Love it. Love it. So talk about something that we've talked about. Adrian, I know Adrian's got a question here. Um, we got raised hands. Look at that. Like we're in school. I love the, um, and by the way, everybody here for questions, please be ready. We want to make this interactive. I've got a handful of questions that we're going to go maybe another 10, 12 minutes. I know Adrian's got a question right now. Um, but we want to make sure we want this to be interactive for all of you, because this is all about you. It's not about Adrian and I, I get to talk to Michael every week. You guys see it. Most of you see those interviews. Um, so Michael, talk about the, the tunnel, the, the, the overall economy jobs, mm. and then kind of light at the tunnel and that, that metaphor. Yeah. That. I, I've been in sales since I was in high school and I've been selling on emotions or visions or stories. So that's where I naturally gravitate to. So as I've gone through the last 14 months or so, I don't know about you, but it's, it's felt like we were in darkness. And I don't remember when it was, it was probably September of last year. They started having vaccine progress and you just started, you started to see a little speck of light out there. It was, it was still off in the distance, but it wasn't pitch black anymore. And as we've moved through, as we ended the year, as we've gotten to where we are now, uh, I think it was April, Ty, when you and I talked, I said, you know what? We're now standing in the sun with both feet. The tunnel's behind us. It's still close. We could still be sucked back in, but right now, gosh darn it, we're in the light. And I think we're, it's, it's only getting brighter. The tunnel's getting farther and farther away. 
What does that mean? Well, that means the unemployment picture is going to get better. We're going to get go from having 30 some odd unemployed, uh, you know, million unemployed in a unemployment rate of 6.1 back to sub five. Uh, we're going to have wage inflation, right? So people are going to be able to, uh, you know, buy more. Uh, you know, we have unnatural savings rates. People are going to spend more because uh, American consumers are very simple, right? When they're scared, they save. And when they're not, they spend, right? We're a consumer-based economy. And, you know, we had a $1.6 trillion of excess savings the last year. Why? Because we were in a darn tunnel. People were scared. Now we heard United Airlines just this morning saying, oh my God, leisure travel is ahead of 2019. The world is getting better. Hilton Hotels talked about record bookings for July, right? So people are coming out of the woodwork we're going to spend. We're going to get the service sector part of our economy cranking and we are all going to benefit from it. So yeah, we are definitely standing in the sun. Um, I can't, you know, knock on wood, I can't imagine something pulling us back. A lot of the rest of the world is still in the tunnel. Realize that's why I think the world economy is going to be great for the next three or four years. Because if we all came out at the same time, there would be massive inflation as the entire world consumed everything. Right now, the US comes out, Europe's behind it. Unfortunately, India's kind of in it right now. Asia's suffering a little bit of a, a backslide. But the rest of the world should be out of this in 18 months. But it, it's just going to build and build, and the world economy will start cranking. Um, and yeah, thankfully, you know, I think I saw a number today, Santa Clara County, 70% of the people are vaccinated or whatever it is. It doesn't matter if you want to get it or not. The fact that most people are means, damn it, we can all go outside and socialize. Um, so, uh, you know, I look forward to California being off lockdown July 15th or June 15th, sorry, June 15th. Um, so, you know, better days ahead and today's not a bad day. So better days ahead. Huge, huge. So, so Zuber, just a question and it's a common question. Mm -hmm buyers and sellers, I'm sure you're, you probably answered this question already in multiple times before in your podcast, but in regards to inventory climbing, prices declining, interest rates going up, is that foreseen in the next six to eight months? Well, so lots of people use the past crash as their similarity. It's called recency bias. Correct. Right? It's going to happen again. Be no, we're not going to experience the last crash. So is inventory going to go up? Yes, clearly I believe that. If we if we if we're rocking and rolling with a million available pending home or whatever available homes for another year, prices will explode higher. I mean, like you think that you think thirteen percent is high, it'll be thirty three percent, and I just don't see that happening. The American consumer is, if nothing, if not predictable. There are so many people you all serve that right now are sitting down at the kitchen table going, "Honey, our house is too small." Our house is too old. We live in the wrong part of town. Your job is to go find those people and help them get bigger, newer, and nicer. They're having the conversations. Every the consumer is so predictable. The last year they didn't because they were afraid. Why were they afraid? Because the TV told them to be afraid. Right now the TV is starting to say, mm, "Don't be afraid. It's sunny outside. Go spend some money." And a lot of them could benefit from having a real estate agent that tells them that. Second, prices. Prices have, <laughs> there are so many freaking horrible YouTube channels out there talking about a 40% price decline last year. Those freaking idiots killed people. And I tried to save them. I tried to tell them they were idiots. I bet $10,000, any of them wanted to take me up with a donation to charity, not a single one would take me up on. I called them out by name and they wouldn't step up and they were all wrong. 
Does a 13% growth feel like a 40% decline to anybody? Not to me. I, I'm certainly glad I own some. That said, prices, they're going to moderate. They're absolutely going to moderate. But I like to use an analogy. I think this was Ty that brought this up. We are going 100 miles an hour. If we go 60, shoot, if we go 40, are we still going forward? Yes. It may, I mean, going 40 when you're going 100, it feels slow. But we will be seeing price appreciation, certainly for the foreseeable future. The supply demand picture warrants it. The cost of replacement warrants it. New product, new in, you know, construction warrants it. Prices are not going to magically decline just because we go from one to two, two to three. There is only one thing out there that could actually cause a price decline, and that is if the Federal Reserve took interest rates from zero to 4%, which would mean the 30-year would probably be at 7%. If the Fed did something like that, so unnatural, so unexpected, yeah, real estate would crash, at least for a couple of quarters as people figured it out. But there is nothing in the current horizon other than using the analogy from 100 to 40, we are not going to crash. If you buy real estate and it goes up 4% next year, are you really that upset? Is it, if it's six, it's not, let's be clear. It should not be 13. That's unnatural. 13 is unnatural. But if it goes up six, it's okay. So uh, that was that. Now interest rates. I believe one of the things that I, unlike a lot of folks, is I believe we've seen the bottom of the realist, the interest rate cycle. My entire investing career, which stretches over 20 years, I have been investing in a lowering interest rate environment. I believe it has bottomed or will soon bottom, and we are going to tick up. Why do I say that? Because I don't think we go negative. In order to go much lower, the Fed has to go negative. Is it possible? Sure. Much of Europe's negative. Much of Asia's negative. I don't think the, the owner of the reserve currency, which is the dollar, can go negative. I think the ramifications of that are. So I don't think we go negative. So I think rates are pretty much where they're at. Banks got to make some money. Um, so interest rates are going to go up. I do not think they explode. If we say the average 30 years, 3% today, uh, I think it could be 4% by the end of next year. That's a 33% move, sure. But it's not horrible, right? I think, I think natural interest rates are probably four and a half. Uh, but yeah, if you take a higher interest rate with a higher payment or a higher price, the real problem is eventually this thing becomes unaffordable. And if you've read my book, you know the affordability index is something I watch. So Fresno today is about 46. You know, we get, we get another eight or 9% appreciation and rates go up a point. We could be in the low 30s for sure. So, you know, that, that gets interesting. Big, big. Thank you for that. Appreciate that. Uh -huh. Please, uh, Kevin, you had a question, KP? Yeah, A, wanted to thank you for being here today, Michael. It's always great to be on something where you're, you know, educating us and just giving us knowledge. Appreciate that a lot. Yeah, you're welcome. And then uh, maybe since we're, I don't want to waste time uh, with Michael today, at least Ty and Adrian, maybe at another point address those stacked deals and how much effort and attention they take to make sure that nothing happens to the agents. Because uh, 
you know, the more you stack, the more danger there is and the more problems there are. So you know, a lot of people babysit that one deal, but then if you put three of them together, mm. uh, it can be a little challenging. So I don't know if you want to do that on this call or maybe set a different call for that. But I think since it's been brought up, everybody should be aware of some of the pitfalls and benefits of the, the triple stack, right? Or quadruple, heaven forbid, a quadruple stack. Yeah, right? that's crazy, right? And I'll comment to that and then I'll tee it back to Michael with a question. And mm. so what Kevin's talking about, what KP's talking about is that mm -hmm. you've got the seller who's down oh, yeah. and yeah. you've got them all stacked up. The key, mm -hmm. in my opinion, is everybody is really clear on their motivation. If the motivation's right and everybody is really committed to the process, mm -hmm. then things are going to move forward and the dominoes are going to fall and you're going to get your deals to stack and close. The yeah. problem that I've seen in my, you know, experience is that you'll get somebody that's kind of wishy-washy. Well, if yeah. I can get my price, I'm not really, they're not really serious. Their motivation's a little lower. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, we talk them into signing, we get them to sign, and then they get a little squirrely and they kind of throw it, you know, the, yeah. those transactions off. Yeah, KP's right. I mean, I certainly wouldn't want to be an agent that was managing four contingent sales. That that just sounds it's great when it closes, don't get me wrong, I'm sure, but man, the the because any one of the four people, well, actually five people, right, could have could have said no to that transaction and they all fall apart. So absolutely time, risk, all of that. But that said, I wasn't trying to push the idea of daisy chaining together. My idea was get comfortable with the contingent sale, right? Because we need inventory. You have sellers that have a unique opportunity to sell now when there's no inventory, or they can wait until there's a lot more inventory. Go have that conversation. But you're right. Make sure they're committed. Um, but yeah, I, KP's right. That's um, I'm sure that would be some sleepless nights. I love it. Let's go to Elizabeth. And then also, we're going to just open it up for Q&A. Yeah. I've got a bunch of questions, so I'll fill in if, if it gets a little quiet or slow. But Elizabeth, you had a question. Go for it. Yes, first of all, thank you, Michael. I'm like a huge fan of yours, hear you every morning. Oh, thank so you. So you are like, yeah, you are the one I listen to at 7.30 every morning or Thursdays at seven. Uh, <laughs> look at you, <laughs> that's awesome. So um, quick question. I know you were talking about rates going up um, little by little, but how about the 40 year loans? I know you've talked about that hitting yeah. affordability and maybe that being something that does keep the market still. Yeah. Do you believe, what's the chances of that happening? Um, it depends on your time horizon. Like I, I again, I'm, I'm un, I, I have an uncomfortable feeling in my gut when I think about the 40 year becoming a norm, right? Uh, because I believe in home ownership. I believe as you get closer to retirement, you want it paid off. And obviously a 40 year is 10 years longer than a 30 year. Uh, that said, I think when I look out at 2030, I don't usually look out a decade, but I did this morning. I was like, damn, we got all this freaking Wall Street people coming in. We've got one in seven buyers being a, an investor. What, what happens to existing homes, the new construction, they can't build them. Oh my God, what's happening to affordability? And I'm like, you know what? 40 year mortgages are coming. I don't know when they're coming, Elizabeth. It's probably not this year. It's probably not even this administration, meaning the presidency, but I, I could definitely see the 40 year becoming the norm by 2030. I just don't know when that is because at some point it's just unaffordable, right? You, if you ever remove the American dream of owning your own home, because it's just flat out affordable because wall street came in and bought all the homes. 
that's that's not the America I want to live in. So I think one of the answers is a 40 year or heaven forbid, a 50 year. I think it's, there's a chance that housing becomes that thing that parents pass down to kids. I think we could see an environment where people move less, right? Right now, right? We, we, I think the average move is like every six to eight years. What if the average move is every 15 or 20 years, right? We could get to that environment and more, and that could be even more, that happens more when work from home, right? And, and all of these things. So I do think the 40 years mortgage is coming. I, I certainly hope it's not soon because that just means we've gone unaffordable that much faster. I think the 40 year is an answer to an unaffordability problem, I guess is, is what I think. Great question, great answer. Thank you, Elizabeth. Uh, let's go to Terriel. Thank you, Ty. Michael, thank you for your time. Always yeah. a pleasure seeing you and learning from you. You know, yeah, I'm man. a big fan. Oh yeah, thank you. We, we've met many times. Yeah, yeah, Michael. So, uh, question is: You're in the rental space, right? I mean, you uh -huh. build your portfolio, you build your wealth, and you're building your wealth in the single-family rentals. Mm -hmm. I think a couple of years ago, you started looking and started acquiring properties in the multifamily market, mm -hmm. and now you're seeing the traction out there. In general, right now, as a landlord, we are still seeing a lot of lag, right? We still see apartments, at least here in the Bay, we see them kind of sitting on the market for a while. Mm -hmm and we have to lower our prices. In general, how do you see, maybe not the Bay, um, but California in general, you know, to give respect to everybody here, how's the rental market gonna be? Yeah, I think I'm, I, I try to be very clear on this and I've been doing this the last six months or so. Uh, I have about half and half my portfolio, single family home versus apartments. And apartments um, suck. Rents are down, collections are worse. Uh, maintenance is up turnovers up. It's kind of all bad, all bad. Single family homes, complete reverse. Rents are exploding. Nobody's leaving. Um, I mean, I've seen some rents increase in my portfolio because, you know, somebody bought a house or they left for a job or whatever, up 30%, right? Went from 1300 to, to six, 1725 or something. Single family homes. Um, this crisis, every crisis teaches us something. What did this crisis teach us? Space is good. So I have several apartment buildings, you know, where it's five units on the top, five on the bottom, five on top, courtyards in the middle. They don't like that. It's too close. They're too close together. Maintenance headaches, calls to property management, all bad. And oh, by the way, let's not forget, there's a lot of idiots doing deals today in that market. And they're making crazy assumptions on RITs and maintenance. And I am, I firmly believe we are going to see a uh, price reset cap cap rate reset on multifamily in the next three to five years. So if you've read my book, I'm going to execute that same process again. I'm only buying houses for the next two to four years. And then I will 1031 exchange. And last time I went eight to 80, I hope to go 50 to 500, three to five years from now. Yeah, I wouldn't touch a multifamily today. Oh, plus interest rate risk. Uh, oh, it's just bad. But I already owned a bunch. I reset debt. None of my debt. I prepaid debt to take my interest rate risk out seven years. There's not a commercial loan I have that will reset for at least seven years. And some of them are 10. Uh, I did that on purpose because, man, I do not want an interest rate reset in the next two to three years. Could be bad. Wouldn't it make sense to sell right now? 
Um, I sold some. I mean, I can only tell you what I've done. I mean, if again, man, I'm an open book, man. If people want to overpay for something I own, take it. So I'm going to go to Ali and then Maria, but I want to just ask a follow-up question. This is mm -hmm. something I've been actually thinking about for the last several months that I haven't got a question to you about this, Michael, is sure. what are the indicators as we look out a little bit, and we don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but when we look out 24, 36 months, mm -hmm. and that signal goes off in your head that, you know what, and I know it probably ties to affordability, mm -hmm. but when you see single family, you're going, when you scratch your head and go, I'm going to sell those 50 houses and I'm going to lever, or I'm going to sell and yeah. I'm going to now 1031 into it's, a It's building. all the affordability index. Again, I it's, it's amazing. Again, I challenge you to go look it up for your market. It's published by the California Associations of Realtors, car.org. Um, you can layer it over prices. In Fresno, when it gets to 20 to 23, it gets to 25, I start selling my dogs. Everybody has them. It gets to 20, most of my houses are gone. Just gone. And again, realize I did this last time. I sold a year early. I would much rather be a year early than a day late. The house I sold on Norris Drive, which I write about in my book, I sell for 265 and everybody's happy. But what if I told you it went all the way up to 300? I lost about 12%. I could have waited about another eight or nine months and sold for 300. But oh, by the way, if I would have missed 300, it now falls all the way to 75. I'll sell at 265. I'll sell early. So it that. is. Love it. Thank you for that. Let's go to Ali. Hi, Michael. Thanks for your time. Always providing solid knowledge, man. Uh, <laughs> and when I'm on the phone with clients after listening to your morning calls and I sound super educated, like I know ah. exactly what I'm talking about, um, you know, it That's definitely awesome. helps out. So uh, with that being said, I want to kind of piggyback off of Terio's question. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, what I've kind of been being pulled both ways is, hey, I want to buy my first investment. Am I going to go to multifamilies or should I buy a single family? And I think I heard you on one occasion on one of your calls say, hey, this one of the things that we take for granted is a two-year to live in the residence for two years and then find something to house hack it, right? And then avoid paying capital gain. Would you recommend that more than ever? Like if I wanted to buy a primary residence for myself right now, Mm -hmm. Buy it, live in it for two years versus going with the multifamily first? Uh, well, I, you know, there's a lot of other variables to that. I will say getting on the property ladder any way you can, whether that's house hacking, uh, you know, whatever it is, is a very valuable thing. You cannot build meaningful wealth just with a day job. You just can't. Real estate is wonderful. Single family homes are going to go up. Single family homes you know, what are they going to be? Four or 5% got some tax advantages. Oh, by the way, they produce income. Pretty hard to, pretty hard to hate. So, um, but you know, some people are like, Hey, I live in the Silicon Valley, for example, it's a market I know, uh, you know, maybe they work at Facebook, whatever it is, their visions to work at Facebook, crank those shares for four or five years, but they don't want to buy here, right? Their vision, their forever home is not the Bay. It's back in Tennessee or it's, in Texas or wherever they think their forever home is. If, if that's the case, I would not, I mean, if, un, unless you're going to live in the Bay for 20 years, I am not touching real estate in the Bay today. So for them, I would tell them to rent, right? Even, I don't even think I would house hack here if the prices are so high. 
Um, but you know, so there's a few other life decisions, but I mean, if I was talking to clients, man, property ladder, way to wealth, legacy, easy conversation. Love it. Great answers. Great answers. Let's go to Maria. Good afternoon, everyone. So I have a question. I heard you say that, you know, you usually will do the 1031 exchange and there's so much going on right now with 1031s. How do you feel if you do have big buildings that you'll be affected by that? And is the effect the same as you 1031 at home? Uh, so, yeah. So first off, one of the things we have to do is we have to stay close to what's really going on. The rules, they're threatening to change the rules. So let's talk about 1031 specifically. Again, it's all negotiation, nothing's written in stone, but let's talk about proposal number one. They're talking about limiting uh, the 1031 or capping, capping the 1031, I think it's at $500,000, which basically they're trying to do is they're trying to get rid of the big players, right? The people doing 20, 30, $40 million flips, they wanna pick up their tax money, right? That's what they're trying to do. So I think that gets negotiated up, but that's a different conversation. The fact is if you are flipping up or 1031 apartments, you're probably going to hit that limit in most markets. Um, so what I believe is going to happen is owners of those buildings simply won't sell in this administration. I believe the rich, the people that are targets of this administration will just say, F you, I'm going to sit on my hands and I'm not going to sell. Capital gains is an optional tax. It's optional. I could tell you this much. If they come after me, which, oh, by the way, these tax changes would have impacted me absolutely. That's where my income is. Um, I won't be selling a thing next year. It's an optional tax. Most rich people in real estate get stare at a 53% capital gains like I would have to pay. I'd be like, no, thank you, Mr. Biden. I won't be selling. I will keep my cash flow. I will go get a loan because you know what? You don't tax loan proceeds. I'm good. Thanks, buddy. So I think most rich people just don't sell. It slows down. I love it. Thank Great question too, Maria. I love it, love it, love it. Um, it's interesting in general. I mean, wealthy people don't sell, right? I mean, even... Yeah. Yeah, I right? mean, if you, it, I, I'm willing, I am willing to sell and pay 20%, right? I've been conditioned. It's been 20% most of my life. It's like, hey, yeah, I'll pay for roads and, and military and all of that. But you come after me and you put a target on my back and you start calling me nasty words and you tell me I got to pay 53%, I'm going to give you the middle finger and tell you to stick it somewhere. I just won't sell. Love it. Love it. So you guys are hearing it here, right? Wealthy people, they buy and they hold forever. I mean, you know, and then it's 1031 exchange, right? So um, really, really clear. Let's go to Robert. Robert. Hi, Michael. Thanks for joining our group. Um, sure. When you when you go to sleep at night and you look back in your success, everything you've done, anything you would have do differently to either help speed it up more or something you wish you had done back in the early days? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. I, first of all, I should have started a decade earlier, right? I started at 30. I should have started at 20. Uh, I wasted, you know, I, I did all the stupid things in my 20s. That, that's a mistake. Second, the, the big thing, again, if I having a day job, and only having 40 grand to start, I should have bought what's now called turnkey. It wasn't called turnkey back then. It was just called clean. 
Uh, I bought junk. I've always been attracted to junk. Why? Because of price point. I was an idiot. It's cheaper. Of course I want that one. But God damn it. This means I had to do the make ready out of pocket, which meant my 40 grand just got drained. So I should have bought that first year. I mean, I've actually done the math. So those first eight years, because I bought junk, I ended up with seven, six houses, six houses and a duplex, eight units. If I would have bought turnkey, which meant I would have paid more, but had zero make ready, I probably could have had 12 or 13 houses. And oh, by the way, I went for eight to 80. And if I could have gone 12 to 120, oh, I could have been done so much earlier. Uh, so having a day job, I should have financed clean properties. That's something I would take to new investors. Uh, I was attracted to junk. Why? Because it's cheaper. Boy, that was dumb. I love it. Great question. I got a follow-up question for that that I think is really important. And then thank you guys. Look at all these hands raised. That's I like beautiful. It. I love it. Thank you for the participation. That's what we want here. So uh, follow-up question to that though. So this group here does pretty well. I think most everybody here are real estate professionals, agents, mm -hmm. um, who also maybe fix, flip, mm -hmm. wholesale a little bit here and there. Mm -hmm. um, from a practical standpoint mm -hmm. of the discipline and focus, you know, budget, what do people need to do to buy their first property or their next property, in your opinion, from the simplicity of you know, having the acquisition money for down payment, closing costs. Mm. Just talk about the sacrifice and the discipline there, Michael. Yeah. So one of the things that um, I've done, actually, I did this with Omar, who I believe is part of the bigger uh, squad up group. And I've done it with, I've done it with six of my multimillionaires. So one of the things on my channel, I interview seven or eight multimillionaires every week. And I have a spreadsheet that I call choices. So the choices spreadsheet is kind of interesting. It goes over 10 factors that you spend money, housing, car, food, entertainment, kids, you know, whatever they are, charity, whatever they are. But the idea is you have to understand where you are today, right? You just, you just go through the spreadsheet, you answer the question. Then what you do is you go in and go, okay, what could I sacrifice to? What could I reduce? And I actually did this about a week ago, maybe 10 days ago. And I was trying to pretend like I was 30 because my middle road, I was spending 100% of my income. I was fine. No bills were going late. I would have been, people would have thought I was rich because I was wearing all the fancy freaking clothes that cost a gazillion dollars, uh, had the nice cars, all that stuff. Um, but I wasn't saving anything. So what Olivia and I did, we didn't have this spreadsheet, but we did this, is we went through our budget and we realized, oh, by the way, we are willing to adjust. Because folks, I did all of this real estate, one rental at a time, starting with 40 grand, 40 grand doesn't get you anywhere. I was able to sacrifice and reduce our family expenses by six grand in about a year and a half, right? It, it starts slowly, right? As you reduce, but I got to tell you, the whole reason we were to accelerate and jump on the gas going forward is we took, we ended up reducing our family expenses 50% on purpose with the intention of putting every dollar towards real estate. That's why we were ready to rock and roll in 2010. That's why we could buy every deal that came through and we had private money lined up to do everything is because we were able to get uncomfortable for a decade. It wasn't like we were living on a street or living in a tent. We just never moved. We're, I'm still talking to you in the same 
1300 square foot condo we bought in Mountain View in 98. Could we have bought other houses? <sighs> Absolutely. Didn't want to because we wanted to buy freedom. We didn't want to increase the monthly nut. Even though our, even though our incomes, I don't know, doubled, we acted like we lived on the same. Folks, if you really want financial freedom, it's there, but you've got to watch your lifestyle. The, the rat race is real. The wheel, right? Every time you add a new car, another this or another that, the wheel gets bigger. And if you know anything about wheels, it means you have to run that much harder. Oh, by the way, you start adding cash flow, the wheel gets smaller. And pretty soon, the wheel goes away. And then, damn it, you could take a nap at three o'clock because who, who doesn't want to take a nap at three o'clock? It's pretty cool. I love it. I got my nap chair right there, too. There so. you go. <laughs> I love it. Let's go to more questions. I believe Terry was, um, Terry and then Naomi, and then we'll go Caleb. Terry, go for it. Perfect. It's, it's sort of a follow-up question on the 1031 exchanges uh, on bigger apartment complexes. If, that, if that's the change that we see, what are your thoughts and what are your feelings on where seller financing will go on, on commercial properties? If that'll be a lot more common, if you think. Oh, yeah, a lot more common. The people that own apartment buildings, you know, the 20 and above, they are some of your most sophisticated I don't know, money managers, if you will, out there. I have not met anybody that owns a 40 unit or above that doesn't school me with money and investing. They're a rare breed. So yeah, they are going to flip the middle finger to the IRS. They're going to get seller financing. You're going to have clauses in those contracts so you can't refi them out or sell it. They're going to have buy. I mean, yes, seller financing will be the answer. But let's be clear. I believe seller financing is an answer for a lot of real estate transactions when the market moderates uh, because there's a lot of mom and pop investors that don't want to pay the IRS either. So I think seller financing subject to is some of the most important skills to pick up as a real estate entrepreneur for the next decade, certainly the next six or seven years. But yeah, multifamily, a lot more multifamily will be transacted with seller financing but again, I got to tell you, the transaction volume will fall off a cliff. Great answer. Great answer. Great question, Terry. Thank you. Let's go to Naomi. Sorry, I couldn't unmute. Um, thank you, Michael, for being here. Uh, always love seeing you. And um... Oh, you're back on mute, Naomi. There you go. That's weird. Um, so just kind of continuing the, the conversation on buying rental properties or investment properties. If you don't see prices really going down, just maybe moderating um, and inventory is going to increase, possibly interest rate going up, mm -hmm. would you push to buy that first property now or would you still wait a little bit until there's more inventory? If you have a deal that makes sense today, mm -hmm. I would do it today right? I, I talk about, I teach about learning your market, right? So let's just take an example, right? Let's say your market, the average return is 5%, Naomi. Mm -hmm. If you find a deal that's six, seven, or eight today, do the deal. I think locking in a good or great deal, as I call it, with legendarily low rates today will far outweigh a one or two blip increase. Because once you own it, you don't care what happens to the price. You care about the cash flow. And your biggest determinant to cash flow in the beginning is the interest rate on the debt. 
So getting the rate today, which could be a quarter, a half, a full point lower, will feel much better because this is 30-year money. So again, do the work, figure out average. You should be able to tell me or anybody on this call, hey, my average is X. And then go look for deals that are two points above X. And if you find one today, lock it up. Okay. All right. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Love it. Love it. And, I, and I'm guessing too, Michael, that would be the same. If you find a deal, it pencils and you're getting seller financing in great terms, why would you not take the deal down? Right. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, I could, I almost couldn't think of a seller financing unless it was an alligator negative cash flow, something silly, which I would never negotiate to. I, I, I would, yeah. Seller financing. I, for, I, people don't realize this. I would overpay for seller financing. I don't give a rat's ass what the price is. As long as I can control the payments and have a long enough term, I will gladly overpay. Love it. Love it. That'll be an advanced conversation we'll follow up on. I want to keep the Q&A going. Um, Caleb, go for it. Uh, can you hear me? Mm -hmm. Okay, perfect. Yeah, so um, yeah, thank you again. Uh, again, just thank you for being on this call. And sure. so I, I heard that, you know, obviously you started at 30 and if you could, you'd start 10 years earlier. Um, I've also, I, I have the blessing to be able to start at 20 years old. And so, Sweet. With, yeah, I know. And so with that being said, I wrote down, obviously finance, clean properties. And so what <laughs> additional information or advice would you give to someone that is 20 to yeah. start out in investing or mm -hmm. what, what the case may be? Yeah. So the first, I mean, I don't know your situation at all, Caleb. I mean, the first thing I would do coming out of high school or college or whatever it was, is I'd go buy a fourplex. I'd go get residential financing, three and a half percent down. I'd buy a fourplex. I would live in that place for a year, year and a half. And then I'd buy a triplex. And then I'd live in that place for a year, year and a half. I'd buy a duplex. And I'd live in that place a year, year and a half. I'd buy a house. So by the time you're 28, you've got 10 units, all financed with three and a half percent down loans. Okay. And then uh, on top of that, good. Yeah. And then on top of that, I mean, I live in a pretty expensive area, obviously Orange County. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. And so what price point should I be looking at? Or should I just save enough money to save for a price point of that uh, a fourplex in my you gotta area? You got to do the math, man. I don't know Orange County at all. All I know is it's ridiculously expensive and a nice place to live. So congratulations. Do the math. I mean, it's all math, man. It doesn't matter. Again, owning a fourplex in Orange County or owning a fourplex in Columbus, Ohio, it's all the math. Okay. I, mean, I don't know what, I, I have no idea what rents are in Orange County, but I'm going to guess they're higher than Columbus, Ohio. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm guessing. Right. So get comfortable with the math. It's all math. Do the work, do the math. Um, you're going to need three and a half percent down. I mean, I don't know what a fourplex costs in Orange County, probably millions of bucks. I don't know. Anywhere from like 750 to a million. Yeah, I mean, so what are we talking? 35 grand? Around there. Yeah. I mean, go sell some fucking houses, Caleb. I mean, what the hell? Hey, that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm Jesus doing. Jesus Christ. What are, you, what, what are you complaining about? Jesus. That's what I say all the time. I love it. Great question, Caleb. Great question. Great yeah. So, so what I want you to know, Caleb, is, is um, you're in a group here with a lot of leaders. And again, you should thank Ty and Adrian for this. I'm only here because of those two guys. Um, but yeah, you get the right mindset. You surround yourself with the people on this call. You, you're going to, you're going to blow by my, I mean, you could, yeah, it's, it's going to be embarrassing what you could be doing by the time you're 30. It's, it's crazy. Nah, thank you, Michael. I, I really appreciate that. It's awesome. I want to, I want to also interject. This is a, and I'm going to ask Michael a question here because it ties into Caleb and there's also kind of a theme here. Uh -huh. um, 
in the 90s, when I was a new agent and I had bought my first rental, I actually bought a rental before I became an agent. Hmm. And that whole entire time, for about seven, eight years, I drove a Toyota Camry with about 200,000 miles on it. <laughs> Yeah, and I lived at my with my grandmother at the time, and then I bought a, ha- a little house, yeah. and I moved out finally, right, and and all of that. And it wasn't until I had, and I forget the number, but it was ten or twelve properties that I said, okay, and I was making good money as an agent before I went out and bought a used Mercedes, a yeah. lease return Mercedes, and then bought a you know a little bit nicer house and all of that. Michael, tell them the story about when you were going to these dinner parties, these housewarming parties oh, of your God. employees and kind Man. of just- one of the worst, yeah. one of the worst days of my life. So let me see if I can set this story up. So I'm probably 38 or 39. Olivia and I own a hundred units. Cash flow is probably 12, 13, four, I don't know, some number. And then we go to a housewarming party, right? So for an employee, right? So I'm a VP, whatever it is in the organization, somebody below me in the organization, we go to a housewarming, which is what you do, right? You, whatever. And uh, they have a housewarming, if you know the Bay Area in, in, in Los Altos, right? I live in Mountain View. So Los Altos is more expensive dirt. Uh, and oh, by the way, it's a house, not a condo. So more expensive. So lo and behold, right, we're living in a condo, which I think at the time was worth, I don't know, 658, 700 something. Turns out my employee bought a house for $1.9 million. And I know what he makes. And, you know, didn't really put a lot down. It wasn't like he had a big pile of money saved up and put it down. His mortgage payment was something like eight grand a month or just something retarded. Seven grand is crazy. And, um, but still, I remember looking at the house, completely remodeled, dialed in, big backyard, let his kids play, swing set, all the stuff, right? We don't have a yard. We live in a condo. We've got no, no, no spot for our dogs to use the bathroom, right? We got to walk them outside. So I'll, I'm just, I'm just, it's eating me alive, right? Because I make more than this person. I have all this net worth and blah, blah, blah. So we leave the party and we're driving home and I start to cry. I don't cry a lot. I started to cry because my mind just started to play games on me. Like has the last eight years of sacrifice been worth anything? What the hell are we doing? You know, what, honey, do you want this? Am I letting, am I letting my family down? Right. My daughter is now 15, maybe. Right. She's lived in the same condo. We don't have a house. We don't have a yard. She's, she has to go play at the public school with the public pool. And I just start my, my mental game just starts killing me. And um, so my wife actually was so bad. I pulled over. My wife had to drive home. That's how bad it was. So we get home and we just have a conversation at the table. She's wonderful. Olivia is her name. And, you know, when I'm down, she's up. When she's down, I'm up. It was a great conversation. But she basically just had to pull out our portfolio and lay it down and go, honey, we could have that. But what do you want to sell? How much of this stuff do you want to sell so you can have that and stop your freaking whining? I'm like, I don't want to sell any of that stuff. What are you kidding me? You see that number down there? She's like, shut up then. Stop crying. Keep going. I'm like, yes, honey. Yes, dear. So yeah, wife, wife's a rock star. Uh, but yeah, that was tough. Um, but you know, long story short, not four or five years later, we have nearly 200 units. I retire. This individual ended up having to sell the house because he lost his job and couldn't make the payment. And you know, 
it worked. It all worked out okay, but man, that was a bad day. That was a bad day. Love it, Michael. Love it, love it, love it. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. um, let's keep going with questions. Let's go to Maria. Okay, here's another question to piggy up uh, back off the last time I actually you were on here because I really took your advice and I've been looking about two to two and a half hours away from here. So Hemet, Renland, San Jacinto yep. area. And I've been looking at the houses. I've okay. helped three of my family members actually do single family units and we've done ADUs with the tax implication of R2 zoning or like duplex mm -hmm. because they're so scarce to find so far out. Would you yeah. say try to focus on the duplex or just do the single family home and then eventually convert the ADU and get that additional income as well? Yeah, I think you got to do the math. I don't know those markets at all. I'm going to guess it's like most markets in California where the answer is the house is the better investment. Uh, I am definitely looking for houses with what I'll call big backyards. Okay. Um, because I see myself adding ADUs. Uh, I think okay. it's right now it's pretty pricey. I know people that have done them and the appraisers are not giving them value for it. But again, my horizon's a lot longer, right? I've bought four or five houses in the last two years on purpose. I overpaid just a little bit okay. because I wanted the yard uh, because I know in the next two to three years, I'll be dropping an ADU back there. Which is what I'm thinking because I've been able to have my friends. I've actually found their tenants. I'm like, man, I'm renting their units out at 1,500. I plan to do that in my current house. Mm. And eventually when I move somewhere else or whatever, these mm -hmm. two units. So I'm just thinking if it's that far out, obviously hoping lumber and everything goes down oh, the yeah, house eventually, a better yeah. investment than than the duplex so far out i would i would think and again i'm seeing a lot better look with single family homes the, the beauty of the adus to me is uh, i could tell you right now that my favorite investment is two houses on one lot okay uh, i love those and that's what adus will become to me is i will cute them up and they'll feel like two different houses i'll put up little four foot fences frame them in put some bushes it'll feel like two different units Awesome. That's what I was envisioning. Thank you. Great question. Great question. We're going to go, um, we're going to go Ali. Then we're going to go Terriel. And then Rahelia, are you going to ask a question also? Or is that what you're doing? You're raising your hand? Okay. Yeah, I have a question. So, okay. All right. You'll be third and you'll be the last question, but here's my only request because we're right at the hour. Make your question real precise, please. Ali, go for it. Yeah, if anything, Terry will go first. I think Terry had his hand raised first. Thank you, buddy. Uh, so it's going to be pretty quick. It's about leveraging, and leveraging is actually kind of ties up to everything to your progress and what you've achieved so far and what you've done differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you feel, and what would you suggest to be safe considering the abundance of finances that we're seeing out there right now? <laughs> uh, so again, I think for most people, again, I sort of answer this. It depends on what stage you're in, right? The first stage of my investing, which was acquisition, which was getting the biggest foundation I could, uh, I, was, I actually went to 80% LTV. Uh, today, I think that's a little too close, right? I think I'd feel much better at 75 for most people or even 70 if, that, if they could get there. I did 80 because I could, right? I had great credit, six-figure job, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but I think, I mean, in hindsight, that was a little bit too much. Uh, however, as you get closer to the end, um, it's not a bad thing to have some stuff paid off. I have some stuff paid off now, which you would never do in the beginning uh, because I lived through the last crisis. 
I have a couple of houses on purpose, free and clear, just in case the world ends. Just in case. Can't take those. Can't take them. So um, yeah, it depends on where you are. So I think, I think 75 is far better for most people. Yeah. I love it. Great question. Great question. Ali. So uh, Michael, you said that you started at the age of 30 when you started investing. Um, I'm also at that age and I wish that I would have started 10 years ago, but it is where it is and I'm at yep. where I'm at now. So yep. uh, there's no time to be wasted. So with that being said, I mean, I'm sure when you first started and you tip your foot into the water, there was fear and doubt. Mm -hmm. what, what, what did you do specifically to get overcome that and just go all in with it? Uh, all I got to tell you, dude, is I got the first one. Again, my story of one rental at a time comes off a horrible event. Um, I had just suffered a $150,000 loss in the stock market, which was about a 75% loss. So I was defeated. I was broken. I was depressed. Um, but I knew I wanted better for my family, my future. And the only answer, I wasn't going to create a company, not an athlete, not a singer, not an actor. Real estate was kind of my last chance. I did. I tried, I spent a year looking in Mountain View area didn't work uh, found fresno found norris want to do more research and again the wife full credit pulled me over on the way back and goes if you don't write an offer on that house today i'm never coming back wrote an offer got the deal and it didn't end well i mean if you ever read my book that freaking norris drive killed me for the first five months uh but i'm glad i did and norris drive ends well but but that first, that first four or five months was pretty rough. You just have to go jump in. Don't go too fast. That's another thing I've seen some people do is they get all excited about real estate and they don't get one, they get three. Like they buy three in a weekend. I'm like, what the hell are you doing? Just buy one and wait. Yes. And that's kind of where, where I asked the first question because I don't want to just, I don't want to overstep my boundaries or do too much that I can't handle. So that was... The reason behind the first question, whether multifamily or single family, just get one, get the house. Yeah. Getting a house gives you more exits just in case. I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. Thank you, Ali. Great question. Let's Rogelio. Hey, Michael, I love you. Uh, ah. You rock it with, with an abundant amount of content. I yeah. do. Uh, yes. Yes. So two questions. One, uh, your 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 thoughts on the moratorium on on evictions? Uh, are we in the clear, or is it going to get extended? And then two, the material at the hardware store. Do you think that we may go back, or like to lower prices, or forget it? Inflation's going up, and don't look back. You know, just start yeah. budgeting for higher. Yeah. Um, so okay. So the moratoriums, we have to be careful on that. Uh, I think the CDC, uh, which ends June 30th, I see almost no chance of them extending it. The CDC has been kicked in the nuts. Federal court, federal judges are saying, what the hell are you doing overstepping your bounds? I see no interest in the CDC extending that. They are, I think they know they're in trouble. Plus, what is the CDC telling us? They're telling us, go outside, go do this, sporting events. And oh, by the way, if they still tell us tenants can't pay rent, there's something wrong with that. They're going to be in big ass trouble. However, most of us, I think on this call are in California. We have a guy named Gavin Newsom, who is a freaking criminal, in my opinion. 
uh, he could very easily be a dick uh, and extend it. Um, so that's that question. So I can't tell you what Pretty Boy is going to do, but the CDC won't extend it past June 30th. They can't, uh, I don't think. Uh, and then in materials, I think we've already seen lumber crack. Lumber's already down, I think, 15 or 16% from the peak. I think lumber has more to come down. I think there's been some unnatural disruptions, not only at the production, but also in the shipment. It's just been, and oh, by the way, we all love housing. So it's just kind of like, let's screw with supply and double demand. So I, I think lumber in most material will be cheaper by the end of the year. I don't think it, I, but I, you know, I don't think it goes back to where it was. Let's just use an example. Let's say this widget used to be $5 and this crazy environment took it to 50. It might come back to 12 or 13. So I think we've seen the peak. It's been unnatural. Supply will work out, but I, I don't think we'd ever see five again, if that makes sense. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So good. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Michael Zuber, give it up for him. That was big. Yeah, guys, again, you, uh, you owe Adrian and Ty a, a note or something when I'm not around because uh, I'm here because of those two guys, so. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. You guys ready? We should be on our hands and knees. <laughs> That's funny. It's funny. Thank I you, Mark. That was really good. Take care. I love it. So, Michael, a couple of things just mm -hmm. as we end here. A couple of things. If you are not subscribed to his <laughs> YouTube channel at one rental at a time, subscribe. Go on there and subscribe. Literally, do yourself a favor and subscribe to his YouTube channel. Number two is if you have not written an Amazon book oh, yes. for him, or even just a thumbs up on some of his videos, but the Amazon book review, right, Michael? Will that help you? Is there anything else you want to promote? Yeah, the Amazon book review. Uh, I only had four last week, which was terrible. Yeah, I need some book reviews. So if, please, if each of us can go in and leave a review on uh, Amazon for Michael, that would be huge. So can all of you commit to doing that by a show of hands? Yeah, perfect. Thank you. It's in the chat. It's in the chat, literally. I just posted it in the chat. Everybody go on there. It's so simple. You literally, look at this, create a review. Boom, there it is. And then, you know, headline, write a headline and then hit submit. Okay. Yeah. Even for the headline, just say great book. I mean, it's, it's the, yeah. Thank you. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. So be sure to submit your review on Amazon. Michael, thank you so much for all you do for us. Thank you everybody for your participation. And his course, his course. <laughs> yes. He's got a course where they can find the course on the website, right? At one rental at a time.com. What? Yep, one real time.com or you go to YouTube, it's in the descriptions. Yeah. And the course goes up. Go up next month. Yeah. It goes up hundred bucks, goes up 50% in about six days. I love it. So hey, do yourself a favor. Get involved in everything Michael's doing. You're a blessing, Michael. Thank you so much. Nope. You and Adrian. Great participation Thanks. today, too, by the way. Everybody here, all the QA. I was really impressed by all your guys' questions. They were great. Yeah participation. Thank you all so much. It's a lot of fun for me. I love all these questions. You guys are really in the business. Thank you all. Michael, appreciate you. T.Y., appreciate you. Make it a great day, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Michael. Bye-bye. Yep. Later.